Coming up on this episode of the Jeep Talk Show, we've got the 10 things we know so far about the new Jeep Wagoneer coming next year. Virtually any Jeep ever made can be repaired with this one single item. And the world-famous Dan Greck is back with us to talk about his new book, The Road Shows Me, Volume 2. And don't forget to share the Jeep Talk Show with your friends. Just tell them to go to jeeptalkshow.com. You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show with Jeep Mama. Are you sure? Josh. Yeah, I don't think so. And Tony. I think that's a huge deal. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the main event, a four-way tag team boys versus girl battle royale. In this corner, weighing in at a combined 320 kilos, it's the red man himself, Tony. And in this corner, weighing in at more than he should, in all black, it's the (laughs) Northwest Jeep man, Josh. And representing the girls in the purple trunks, it's Tammy. And entering the ring for her first battle, hailing from the West Coast, it's Wendy. Now, let's get ready to Jeep! Oh, it's just so exciting. (laughs) For the first time anywhere in podcasting history, which is, this is all a lie, I think uh, this week in in, uh, tech does it all the time, we've got four hosts on the show and uh, of course you guys know wendy uh she's yep. uh, she's been with us for a couple of weeks and then uh, earlier on and of course you certainly know josh who's um, no no i'm just kidding you certainly remember tammy she's back she's joining us Yay. with us and uh, thank you for coming back tammy tammy and uh the uh, eeoc lawsuit is is taken care of uh, now right yes. we we don't have yes. to mess with that anymore no, you guys are good to go now and <laughs> i'm glad thank you for joining me in mediation and Bringing me back and not discriminating anymore. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. I, I need to know about this. Hold on a minute. Or any less. <laughs> no, you signed a disclaimer already. That's oh, right. Darn it. Gosh, darn Just it. Just kidding. I'm so glad to be back live. Yay. It's recorded, Tammy. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't oh. matter if you have a Jeep, want a Jeep. Well, this is, this is going to be interesting. I'm going to see how this works. It doesn't matter if you have a Jeep, want a Jeep, or never driven anything but Jeeps, the show's for you. Josh, Tammy, Wendy, and myself are here to inform and entertain you while we talk about... Jeeps! Jeeps! Lawsuits! Oh. <laughs> I'm Tony, and you know I'm <laughs> I'm used to flooding here in Houston, but never when it's bright, sunny day without rain. Hey, hey I'm Josh, and it's my birthday this weekend. What would you be doing if uh, you were in my shoes? Hey, I'm Tammy, and this is not Memorex. Howdy, it's Wendy, and is winter over where you are? Oh, God, since, uh, like, February last year. Yeah. <laughs> Local Jeep News, National Jeep News, and news from around the world. It's This Week in Jeep. Well, the Jeep world is on fire right now over the upcoming release of the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer models, whose names can be traced clear back to 1963. But the story really begins back in 1946 with the Willys Jeep station wagon. Now, flash forward to 1991 to the end of the production run of the full-size Jeep. 
Having lasted for a total of 29 model years, the Jeep Wagoneer is one of the longest produced vehicles in automotive history. So, it's a good move for Jeep and FCA to take their time with this release. There's a lot of history here with this name badge, so it makes sense that they're wanting to do it justice. With that said, here are the 10 things we know for certain about the first Jeeps of a new generation. First and foremost, it's going to be a body-on-frame SUV. This is arguably one of the most important aspects of the new model. If Jeep is going to be making a luxury vehicle, it'd still better be a Jeep underneath. Some of the nicknames floating around in the industry right now for these new Jeeps is Soft Rotor instead of Off-Rotor. That's clever, <laughs> but I'm not laughing. Jeep is very well aware that if they try to release a new vehicle that can't go off-road or hold its own on the trail, it's going to be a colossal flop. So the engineers focused on a platform that is supposedly going to have serious off-road capabilities and a tow rating that will have many scrambling for a bigger boat or trailer. Initial speculation was that the Wagoneer would use the Ram 1500 half-ton pickup platform, and in April 2019, spy photos showed up of a Wagoneer test mule that still had the 1500's truck bed on the back. Now, if that isn't a clear indication that the Wagoneer will be the sizable body-on-frame vehicle Jeep fans are expecting, I don't know what is. Second, it will be a three-row SUV. Now, this one we've pretty much known from the start. No new news there. The real trick is going to be whether or not the interior designers left enough legroom in the third row for this to be a comfortable long hauler. Imagine hauling a trailer with a couple of Jeeps on it and having six or seven of your closest friends along for the ride. Now that's an off-road party. Number three, the Grand Wagoneer name will also be revived. This too was pretty much part of every announcement from the beginning, and there's been no doubt that there will be two nameplates resurrected for the new series of luxury Jeeps. What's not clear yet is if the Grand Wagoneer will be the elevated flagship model and compete in the luxury segment with vehicles like the Cadillac Escalade and GMC Yukon. Number four, it will have an independent rear suspension. Although this may not sit well with most diehard Jeep fans, this again is more or less to directly compete with the same technology other automakers are using in the large SUV segment. Jeep will be using it on these vehicles to improve the ride and handling. The more compact design also enhances interior space, particularly in the cargo area and third row, making it essential to complete, compete rather in the modern premium and luxury market. Number five, there will be a hybrid model. Jeep has been regularly announcing its plans to electrify their entire lineup by 2024, so this comes as no surprise. FCA's re recent acquisition of the PSA Auto Group falls in line with their desire to soon become a leader in electrified vehicles. The PSA Auto Group is way ahead of the pack in this technology and, more importantly, has the manufacturing chops to get it done at the scale FCA needs for the Jeep lines. Most likely what we're going to see in this regard for the Wagoneer lines is a variant of the 48-volt hybrid systems that go with the Ram's e-torque 3.6-liter V6 and 5.7-liter V8 options. Number six, it will have trims similar to the Grand Cherokee. Now, you know Jeep and their trim levels, so this too comes as really no surprise that the Wagoneer will be offered in several trim levels. It will likely start with a more budget-friendly base model, mid-level trims, premium-level trims, and an off-road trim level. There's likely going to be a high-level off-road trim level as well, featuring the four-corner air suspension system on the Ram 1500 Rebel model at some point down the road. Now, if a Trackhawk package does show up ever, it'll probably be later in the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer's life cycle. My educated guess is that we won't see that for at least the first two model years. And I don't know about you, but I expect rumors of an FCA Hellcat engine going in one of them to be starting any day now as well. Can you say Trackhawk Grand Wagoneer, boys and girls? Mm, I know I can. Number seven, buyers will have plenty of engine choices. 
As well as the electrified powertrains, the 5.7-liter Hemi V8 is all but certain as a main option, but it also has been suggested for a while that the Wagoneer will have the 6.4-liter Hemi V8 from Ram's heavy-duty models as an option as well. This would give the Wagoneer 429 foot-pounds of torque along with 410 horsepower Good using the God. Ram 2500 variant. Yeah, that's nothing to shake a stick at. Oh, man. Now, nothing has been said about the 3-liter eco-diesel V6 engine, but we do know that some power distribution will be taken care of by the uh, ZF-sourced 8-speed automatic transmissions. We've seen that across other Jeep lines before, so that's really nothing new there as well. Now, for number 8, it will have a host of modern features. Don't get me started. <laughs> Seriously, though, FCA is going to be throwing the kitchen sink at these things. So be prepared for a tirade or two from yours truly about the extensive <laughs> driver assistant tech that they're going to be cramming this thing to the gills with. Number nine, fresh styling. Now, there is more in this department that we don't know than what we actually do know. Jeep and FCA have been playing this one very close to the vest, and even the test mules that have been seen by spy photographers have been decked out in extreme camouflage. What we know is that there will be a seven-slot grille. This is a Jeep, after all. And the test mules have been seen with those slanty Cherokee-style lighting up front, but will likely get their own variant to make them more unique. And we all we have to go off of right now are the concept images and fan art combined with our own imagination. So styling cues at this point are anybody's guess. And number 10, production is going to start in 2021. Recently, FCA confirmed production would take place at its Warren Truck Assembly Plant in Michigan. FCA has confirmed it will be investing in the plant and that the production would start in early 2021. That means we can expect a pre-production debut at the end of this year and be the first and have the first model year to be designated as a 2021 model in the United States. It's been a long wait, Jeepers, but we finally know the new Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer are coming for certain and when. I wonder if it's too late to get on the phone with uh, Mike Manley and recommend some square headlights. Oh, geez. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm going to say I probably. Was, <laughs> I was thinking the pointy grill. I got to see one of those Willys um, station wagons, a couple of them actually, in person. I want one so bad. But I didn't realize they have that pointy grill. Um, That's through the anyways. wind better. They're more aerodynamic Jeeps. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, that would be really cool, like to go vintage. Yeah, there's going to be some vintage styling cues in some of this, but it's not going to be the hark back to yesteryear that a lot of us were, were expecting. And I know a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, the concept art that we've seen out there of the Grand Wagoneer and the Wagoneer really kind of uh, play heavily with the styling cues from yesteryear and, and using um, you know the old Wagoneer body lines as kind of a starting point. I don't think we're going to see a lot of that. I think we're going to see um, uh, some sort of uh, uh, of a hark back to to those old model years with the rear window styling. Um, I've heard some buzz about uh, about the rear windows, how uh, the lines are going to be a lot more reminiscent of the Wagoneer, uh, uh, you know, the older Wagoneer from the 80s. Um, but the rest of the body lines are going to be nothing like what we are used to as far as a Grand Wagoneer goes. So we're going to see a lot of rounding. We're going to see, um, you know, a lot of LED use. Um, uh, you know, it's just it's going to be an all-new vehicle. Jeep has not done any full-size vehicles for a long, long time. So a lot of the styling for this is going to be all new to us as well. Wait, but it's like the 70s, right? I mean, uh, they didn't have anything uh, full-size um, throughout the 80s and 90s. I mean, this is really a, a major deal for them, isn't it? 
Am I remembering uh, right? I mean, the I know the seventies and stuff were seventies and eighties. They had full size. I think an, uh, there was an eighty four. Uh, there was a mid eighties line of the other Grand Wagoneers, uh, oh, okay. or maybe it was just a Wagoneer. I can't remember now. But uh, but nonetheless, I mean, ninety one was the the final model year of the Wagoneer, uh, and then it 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 pretty much disappeared. Any sort of form of a full size Jeep after that, uh, the Grand Cherokee being uh, the closest thing in in ninety four to to what uh, a Jeep had for a, for a full size vehicle. So. Um, this is definitely new grounds, and and Jeep is trying to uh, really um, uh, you know play against Ford and GM um, and, and Chevrolet against their full size vehicles. Now these are right. these are you know automakers who have been making full sized SUVs for decades, and and they're they've just are so well established. FCA definitely has their work cut out for them in this regard. So whether or not these things can apply to the masses, whether or not they're going to be uh, selling at the right price point, and whether or not they're going to actually have the demand is really going to be something we'll, we'll be seeing in the first quarter, how it all plays out. Well, I mean, uh, I know you've reported on uh, the price uh, point on this being over $100,000 a, a couple well, that's of years been, ago. That's been a rumor. And again, that was a couple few years ago when there really wasn't anything more than rumors and an official, you know, um, uh, posting from uh, from FCA that says, yes, we are going to go down this road. Um, But it's only been the last maybe 10 months, 12 months that really details have been starting to come out and actually more or less officially or unofficially leaked out to the public. So yeah, it, it's it's one of those things to where I would assume that a starting price point of sixty thousand oh, dollars is least. going to be yeah. relatively reasonable yeah. um, for the for the base model. I mean, and it, I could it, see I could see the upper trim levels getting into that six figure market, yeah. as does you know the, some of the you know uh, Range Rovers and and uh, and and higher end uh, Escalades and you know things like that. So um, well, I they, mean, they if the have, truck is sixty thousand dollars, you know that this thing's going to at least be that much. Well, exactly. Uh, I don't. I don't imagine seeing a base model being a hundred thousand dollars. I don't even no. see a base model being <laughs> eighty thousand dollars. So, I mean, it's it's very common for an automaker to have several vehicles in a fifty to sixty thousand dollar price point um, for this class of vehicle. It's it's certainly not uncommon. So, yeah, they're playing a lot close to the vest as far as information. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know exactly, you know, numbers as far as uh, 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 price point or horsepower or anything like that. We're just sort of going off of what they've told us so far, what is already on the market, what they have access to, and what their facilities can manufacture. Well, Wendy, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I think that if you have a Jeep in your driveway now, and, you, and you'd like to get rid of that Ford or maybe the Dodge, the big vehicle that carries the whole family. And yeah. You love your Jeep. It, it probably is going to be uh, real easy, depending on the price, to buy this this big full-size family Jeep uh, to drive everybody around in, especially with 469 pounds of, thor- of torque. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I can't imagine. It's kind of exciting, really, <laughs> think about it. More power. I, I, hmm. I would imagine we're going to see some incentives too. So if you are an Escalade owner, um, that you know Jeep is going to want to have you convert. If you oh, if yeah. you yes. are you know Absolutely. a GMC Yukon owner, they're going to want to convert you. Um, so there's going to be incentives for competitor-owned vehicles that are in the same class and within a, a couple few model years. Um, that is you know pretty common practice across the board for automakers. So uh, if you're in that market uh, and you've got one of those vehicles and this is something that appeals to you, um, well, you know, start keeping your eye out because these things are going to be hitting here in about a year. I can't wait to see one all decked out and lifted uh, at uh, Easter Jeep Safari uh, in a couple oh, of years. I know, right? <laughs> it's going to happen. You guys already know it's going to happen. <laughs>
Well, if you have a news tip or response to any one of our stories, we certainly want to hear what you have to say. Be sure to let us know by phone or by email. Just head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how. Hey, coming up here a little bit later in the show, a familiar name for you guys, we've got an interview with Dan Greck. He's back and how you can get a limited edition book of Dan's 999-day-long adventure overlanding in a Jeep in Africa. You know, I think if uh, Dan does two more interviews, he gets to be a host on the show, and we can have a little class with an Australian accent at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network podcast. One man. Is with this guy. Who is he? One mission. Who are we talking about? Who is this guy? Who are you? One model of Jeep. What is this? The Wrangler. Who are you? Call me Bill. It's Wrangler Talk with Bill. Hello, JTS listener, and boy, do I have a treat for you this week on the Wrangler Talk. But first... I just wanted to give you a little tech tip, you know, just a little reminder for everyone out there when you're doing some modifications on your Jeep, or better yet, working with electrical components on your Jeep, remember to reconnect that battery and make sure all your fuses are back in their proper location. Let me tell you, it makes starting your Jeep back up after making these cool modifications a lot easier. Yeah, I may have not put a fuse back in and spent like two hours trying to figure out why my Jeep wouldn't start. Yeah, the starter fuse is kind of important when you're trying to yeah, start a Jeep. So either way... Well, now on to this week's topic, and that is steering stabilizers. What do they do for us and our Jeep, and are they really necessary? Like, what's this big hoopla of steering stabilizers? So first, let's cover what a steering stabilizer is and how do they work. A steering stabilizer is a shock absorber that is actually mounted on your steering components to dampen or stabilize the side-to-side movement of the wheels when driving down the road or off-road, better yet. When I say stabilize the side-to-side movement, I mean that it allows your tires to, you're allowed to travel through your steering travel. However, it doesn't restrict your steering travel. It just helps smoothen out your ride when driving down the road. So how does it dampen the steering components? Well, a steering stabilizer is actually designed just like the shock absorbers that are mounted right next to your springs on your that travel from your frame down to your axle. So it's basically a shock absorber that is just has different end components on it. And they're normally filled with a compressed gas or a hydraulic fluid that has a series of valving system inside of it them to reduce the harshness of the road vibrations when you're traveling down the road. And on our steering stabilizers, there is the steering stabilizer is mounted between the front axle and the tie rod or drag link, depending on what year of Jeep you have. So for example, on the Jeep JKs and JLs, JTs, the steering stabilizer is mounted from your front axle 
um, normally where your track bar comes down and meets your front axle uh, to your tie rod and vice versa on the TJ's, YJ's, and I'm not sure about CJ's actually. Uh, but yeah, so on those st- uh, years of Jeeps, they actually mount from your front axle onto your drag link. So that's how that one, that, that steering system is designed. So when we look at a st- steering stabilizer and how it's mounted between these two components, it, it can actually absorb the road vibrations and the forces that are transmitted to the steering to the steering box and between your steering knuckles. And it actually helps uh, reduce the amount of wear and tear that these components see in your steering system. So kind of Jeep designed, not really Jeep, but when companies came out with these steering stabilizers, they figured that this component would be able to absorb all this you know, road harshness and uh, abuse instead of transmitting this abuse back into our steering box and kind of the more expensive components to replace on our Jeeps. Now, steering stabilizers are a necessary component of the steering system because they actually prevent any bump steer, which is the action of hitting a bump and then the vehicle steering in any other direction than that you are actually trying to go or a flighty steering, which is when a steering system wanders when you're driving down the road. So you can feel yourself kind of drifting to the right or to the left, even though that steering wheel is still dead center. So actually, what are the symptoms of a bad or failing steering stabilizer? Well, you actually may notice the steering wheel become loose or wobbly, which might be kind of hard to tell because you, I'm guessing you drive your Jeep every day. So you're not going to notice that right away. But you actually may notice some hydraulic fluid leaking from the steering stabilizer itself if you have a hydraulic-filled steering stabilizer. If it's a gas-filled steering stabilizer then you're kind of out of luck. You're not going to be able to tell too much. You're just going to be able to notice maybe you're feeling more road vibration or a flutter or a shake when you're traveling at higher speeds going down the road. Also may be known as death wobble. Yes, steering stabilizer actually helps with death wobble because it prevents... um, vibrations traveling from both of the wheels. So what happens when your steering stabilizer goes bad? Well, there are a couple things that you are going to want to think about when you're looking to replace your steering stabilizer. And that is what size tires are you running? What size lift are you running? Do you plan on going to a bigger tire? Do you plan on putting a bigger lift on your Jeep? Do you plan on actually putting a lift on your Jeep? You know, there's a lot of things to think about when you're actually replacing your steering stabilizer. But some of the main things is, you know, tire size, because there are steering stabilizers out there that are rated for larger tires. Or also vice versa, there are steering stabilizers that are direct stock replacement steering stabilizers that, you know, are going to bolt right up, no problem. Secondly, are when you're thinking about replacing your steering stabilizer, are you going to want to 
include a relocation kit where it actually flips the steering stabilizer above the front tie rod to ensure that you won't damage your steering stabilizer when you're hardcore off-road wheeling with your buddies. And then you're the guy that needs to stop on the side of the trail to remove your steering stabilizer because it won't let you turn left. Yeah, that I may have had to do that too. But that doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's always fun. But, you know, this is kind of one of those things that it's actually required by most state inspections to have a steering stabilizer because it prevents you wandering down the road. And it is considered a safety item. So make sure your steering stabilizer is functioning properly. If not, or if you're really not sure, um, consult a professional And by all means, I'm not considering myself a professional, maybe a little bit, but still. (laughs) Um, This concludes this week's Wrangler Talk. And remember, do you have any questions or comments about the show or just want to say hi? Head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and send us an email or leave us a voice message. And we would be glad to help you out with any questions you may have. And I'm kind of not feeling too loved. I haven't gotten any emails lately. So have a good week and talk to you next week on the Wrangler Talk. Oh, the steering stabilizer. I remember when I had one of those. Wobbly wobbly. (laughs) Yeah, I'm on my third one. Yeah, it's one of those things where um, some people say it's mandatory. You got to have it. Some people say, well, if you have death wobble, you just got to replace your steering stabilizer. Need more of no, them. No, 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 no. <laughs> and you certainly <laughs> don't need two or three of them on the front Six. end of your, of your rig. Minimum. Oh, God. I've seen I've seen double two stacks before. So four steering stabilizers. And what? it's like, really? Oh, yeah. Really, guy? No, this was not on a Jeep. Oh, I'm thank just God. Gonna, let oh, me, God. Let, thank let me throw that out there. Yeah. No, this is full on, you know, F550 bro dozer type of uh, vehicle. You know, the guy was okay. just, you know, way overcompensating <laughs> for something. For uh, something. Yeah, just one of, the, one of those kind of rigs. But mm-hmm. no, it's interesting. Good stuff. Uh, good information there from Bill about steering stabilizers. This is Chris with 7slats.com back with another word of the week. This week's word, posit. Posit. To assume as fact or put forward as a basis of argument. And this week, I'd like to posit that the Wrangler name was given to us by fake news. Contrary to popular belief, American Motors, AMC, the parent company of the Jeep brand from 1970 to 1987, and not Chrysler Corporation, created the Wrangler as a replacement for the CJ7. I recall at the time when Chrysler purchased Jeep, 1987, that they were blamed for ruining the CJ and giving us the awful Wrangler. New vehicles are in development for several years, between five and seven prior to launch. Therefore, Chrysler could never have pulled off a CJ, CJ7 replacement in less than a year. So why did AMC drop the CJ naming? Because of fake news. Yes, fake news existed long before the communist, I mean Clinton, uh, I, <laughs> cable news network CNN. <laughs> Before CNN, we had good old 60 Minutes and that stupid stopwatch. 60 Minutes did a piece in December of 1980 based on rigged vehicle tests and misleading studies, helping to create the idea that the CJ was an unsafe vehicle. The 60 Minutes segment was based on a report issued by the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, IIHS, on the, quote, the extremely hazardous tendency of the Jeep CJ utility vehicle in highway use, end quote. The National Highway 
Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA, found during a 1981 review of the testing that Dynamic Science Incorporated performed for IIHS used, quote, abnormal test conditions and unrealistic maneuvers generated by an automatic control device which was programmed to provide input not entirely representative of driver input, end quote. Several lawsuits followed, some involving the tragic loss of life, alleging that the CJ was the cause of the incident and not simply the risks associated with motor vehicle travel. More than one insurance company either refused to issue policies to new Jeep CJ owners or sent warnings to existing policyholders. The CJ may have suffered from the bad press that the completely unrelated, however still military Jeep, the M151 Mutt, did justly receive due to its propensity for rollovers due to a new and unproven front and rear independent suspension system. Because of the rollover issues the the U.S. military experienced with the M151, NHTSA did block the sales of the M51 for civilian use, which it had not done to the CJ-based military Jeeps, so that certainly did not help the image of the real civilian CJ. AMC began development of the Wrangler in the early 1980s, making the vehicle more user-friendly with a lower center of gravity, softer ride, and added creature comforts, comforts, and the dreaded square headlights. Hey. I'm unsure as to why the name Wrangler was chosen. However, the CJ name was killed due to fake news. And after 30 plus years, the Wrangler name has now morphed into us calling our Jeeps TJs, JKs, JLs, and JTs. That's my word of the week posit, and I posited my theory. Thanks again. Hope to talk to you soon. So they went with Wrangler because Levi's was copyrighted. Those bastards. <laughs> uh. You know, I was just thinking about this. Uh, the CJ was the, the original one, the original Jeep that I was thinking about getting uh, when I was 18 years old. And I couldn't because the liability insurance on it was like $75 a month. And that was back when you uh, got paid a quarter, you know, for, for a day for working. So Right. That was a lot. <laughs> so that killed my Jeep aspirations for a number of years. Wow. CJ7, uh, I believe, or it might have been a 5. Now I can't remember. Uh, was the second Jeep I ever rode in. I have not ridden in one yet. I don't think I have no. uh, either. I, 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 I never even got as far as looking either. at one. Oh man, my uh, my trip to the Rubicon was uh, was in a uh, highly modified CJ5 uh, that uh, I mean the guy probably had sixty grand if he had had a dollar into it. Wow. Um, yeah, coilovers, uh, you know, thirty eights. I mean the thing was just an absolute beast. Uh, and, and we just we navigated Rubicon with uh, the only thing we had uh, one driveline failure and uh, and a, uh, a Dana forty four hub grenaded out on one of the trails. Uh, and uh, other than that, no carnage all week or all week. So yeah, that was a, that was an, an epic trip. So what was the suspension? Was it leaf springs like the uh, the YJ? No, no, coilovers, or? coilovers. Really? So they went yep. from coilovers to leaf springs. No, went from leaf springs to coilovers. No, no, uh, from the, the CJs to the, the, uh, the YJ, whenever they did the first Wrangler. No, that was, that was not coilovers, per the, se. No, that, that, that was leaf springs that the, the YJ had. But I was yeah. th- it was funny that they went from coilovers to leaf springs. I, I, I'm sure it's cheaper and it's more stable in, in, in a degree, I guess. But that's, that's interesting. I didn't really realize that. Well, I have a correction. I actually I have sat in a CJ. Um, 
and it had the CJ frame with the Willie's um, military body. Um, oh, but nice. now it's got the original body. The The engine just doesn't run yet. So that's yet. sitting out behind our shop right now. So you get to sit it and go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I pretend. I pretend. She's doing a Fred Flintstone thing there with her feet underneath. Yeah, actually, so. that's the only way it'll it'll move. Yeah. <laughs> or or we use my winch and we winch it around. Coming up in Tech Talk, a quick tip for quick trail repair, and I bet none of you have this item in your gear bag. Mmm, what is it? <laughs> you, well, you know, damn it. Are you living the Jeep life? From mall crawlers to weekend warriors, from daily drivers to weekend wheelers, it's all about the Jeep life, and it's all good. It's time for Jeep Life with Jeep Mama. Hey, everyone, I'm back, back. No more um, recording on my little recorder. Um, so here in the San Luis Valley, you will see old vintage Jeeps everywhere. They're, because it's like all farmland here and, and people never got rid of their, their old Jeeps. They just like shoved them off into the field. So Neil and I, you know, we drive around, we're like, oh, look at that Jeep and there's grass growing around it and so we saw one in center Colorado, and so we go to this, it's uh, like an equipment shop. We go knocking on the door, and the guy's like, yeah, you can buy it. So we bought it, and we're going to flip it. And it's a YJ, a 1992 YJ. And you have to go on my Facebook page because this poor, poor Jeep and the hack job that was done on it. Um, we're going to undo all the hack job stuff and um, make it look like a real Jeep again. Um, the guy welded to the front bumper a winch plate. It's a homemade little thing. It took us like two hours to cut it off to this evening. Um, and then he did some fangled shackle thing with the leaf springs and I don't even know why he did it. It's dangerous the way he did this. Um, so we're going to take those off and Neil's going to um, do the job right this time. But go over to my Facebook page and you will probably cringe when you see that. Um, we also got a new battery. We're going to um, bedline it, uh, new shocks, and just the regular maintenance items. And we're going to probably lift it a couple more inches and add 35s. And we will probably take it with us to Kingman, Arizona to test it out on the rocks. And then we will be selling it. And um, that's kind of our, our new life right now is rescuing these old Jeeps, these old hack job Jeeps, these old vintage Jeeps, and fixing them up and giving them some love and um, selling them to people who can appreciate them. Um, so we still have the flatty, which I was talking about earlier. Um, we have all the original CJ parts for it, and we donated the, the military parts to the Jeep Rescue League, which is up in Sawatch, Colorado, um, which is actually where I saw those uh, old Jeep station wagons. If you ever get out to center, you guys have to stop by there. It's so cool. I, I'm just overwhelmed with all these Jeeps that I'm seeing. 
um, all these older Jeeps, like the real Jeeps. I say real Jeeps because Neil always gives me grief about my JKU that it's not a real Jeep, that it's a minivan. Um, so we go back and forth a lot about that. But it's so exciting to see the history in person of Jeep instead of just looking at pictures online and seeing all the unique little parts of the Jeep that change year after year after year and to touch it and to see it. And actually today was the first day um, I drove a YJ. So, you know, now I've driven a Wrangler, a JL, a Gladiator and a YJ. So um, hopefully by the end of the year, I'll have driven every single Jeep. Um, anyway, I'm so happy to be back live and I'm so excited um, to hopefully meet some of the Jeep Talk Show guys and gals out there on my upcoming adventure. If you're going to be at Easter Jeep Safari, look me up because we're doing an LT Right Knife giveaway. So um, keep in touch and look for us. Excellent. And I imagine it's very interesting seeing these uh, these Jeep things that were the forefathers of, uh, of your uh, minivan that you drive now, Tammy. Yes. You know, well, I just want to ask, on, on the month-long excursion that you guys were doing uh, a few months ago, back in, uh, I guess, October, November of 2019, was Neil bitching about the free ride and uh, driving and sleeping in the JKU? Because <laughs> I'm thinking probably not. Right, no. Um, actually, there is a video when we were in Colorado where he admits on camera that my Jeep was the perfect Jeep. He will, <laughs> ah. he, if it he was red, like, obviously, right. if it was red. But, you know, other than yeah. that. <laughs> um, he says I conveniently edited his words. I'm like, no, oh, no. A, um, a weak moment. Yeah, exactly. So, no, it's all good. Um, he, he just likes giving me grief. Of course, we all do. Well, Tammy, welcome yeah, I, back, I and welcome back, thank and thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for <laughs> for uh, uh, doing it live for us, so to speak. Right. Oh, speaking of giving me grief, um, he we did Black Canyon coming back through something, and it was the scariest. It's just a regular road going Black, through Black Bear Pass. You say no, no Black Canyon <laughs> National Park. I will not do Black Bear Pass. Um, but I was literally crying because I was so afraid because it was so high up. I'm afraid of edges. Anyway, he started calling me drama mama. So <laughs> now they're picking up on that on, um, on you know, Facebook and all that. So I guess that's my new nickname, drama mama. Yeah. Well, you know, people like drama. Can we yeah, fit that on the license go. plate? Yeah, oh, really. Oh, yeah. That would be that would be a good one to see down at the uh, social social security office the the <laughs> where you're going to right. get the get the money and stuff and <laughs> drama mama that that's kind right. of a nice one you have to check that you got to change your license plate anyway don't you uh sooner or later I'm gonna have to yeah well how does Tammy's life Jeep life compare with yours we're always looking <laughs> for Jeep stories so contact us and let us know what your Jeep life is like just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how yeah it has yeah, to be our, has to be Jeep life Josh you can't just say life because she's having some hard times right now <laughs> yeah really <laughs> hey, are you a Jeeper that takes better. her top off if so find out where the best place to go topless is with Mitch and Jeep weather coming up a little bit later in the show you, you have to battle through three voices now Josh so just you keep going that one? no no <laughs> just keep blowing through them <laughs> that's what I do steamroll on <laughs> 
Why did you become a paid subscriber to the Jeep Talk Show? I love the show. I've been listening to you guys for free for, I don't know, years now. And I figured I'd time to give back. You can be a paid subscriber and help support the show you love, the Jeep Talk Show. It'll just uh, help help the show out. And, and then in the end, it'll be Jeep Talk Show in my ear holes, you know? Just go to JeepTalkShow.com and look for the big yellow subscribe button. It'd be nice to give back to uh, so that you guys can continue on. Because if they love the show, then why shouldn't you, why shouldn't you give back just a little? bit oh yeah we got a, a new subscriber new paid subscriber i should say and uh we and I really... didn't even have to drop an f-bomb no not at all uh, we wow. did we did have to play his uh his uh his segment earlier <laughs> chris uh signed up and uh gave us a, a little uh, a little moolah and uh, also performing for the show so that's that's like double double so we really appreciate it uh, uh from uh, sevenslats.com and uh we uh, will probably be hearing from chris in a promo very soon right on Hey guys, Supercock here. First off, in your fireside chat the other day, you were talking about tires. And at least from my neck of woods, you left out one in particular tire kind that for about, oh, eight to ten months out of the year is very, very helpful. And that snow slash ice tires. Now, some states like North Dakota can't have studs, um, and Minnesota greatly frowns upon them, but the compounds in snow and ice tires are much better on, well, snow and ice and, and cold. It It's amazing how much of a difference they make. And so... Uh, right now, I've got just some MTs on my my XJ uh, Wranglers and thirty ones, and so they work good. Um, not a whole lot of road noise, but and I guess I should really say welcome, Wendy. And uh, I don't know, Tony, are you going to keep adding another? Most everyone is it hundred or or well now I guess it's more like seventy five ish shows or something like that. Every hundred years. I mean, are we going to get to where we're having eight hosts? I don't know. Well, hopefully you can deal with with Tony and Josh. I so, think I can. You guys have a good day. <laughs> Bye. How dare you! <laughs> really? Wow. Josh and I are a pleasure. That's that we have that in the contract. They have to say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, one of the tires that we were talking about uh, in that discussion, uh, one of the names that came up was the Duratrax uh, by Goodyear. And uh, those are one of the tires that have a, um, one of the snowflake symbols on the sidewall. And that, that snowflake symbol <laughs> or snow symbol on the tires um, indicates a winter tire that meets the minimum requirements for providing traction in harsh, snowy, and or icy conditions. Um, even though some tires actually exceed that, those requirements, much like the Duratrax do. So if they're saying that you know you require uh, traction devices or chains if you're going over the pass, if you have a tire, a set of tires that has these uh, these symbols on it, 
um, that counts as a traction device because those tires are rated uh, to provide you know excessive traction in in extreme environments like that. So um, and those dirt tracks kind of fall into that hybrid category between those mud terrains and all terrains like we were talking about those more aggressive all terrains. Uh, you'll start finding a lot of um, a lot of these uh, snow symbols and snow rated tires in that category of uh, of tire. So. Um, yes, it's not a true, you know, quote unquote snow tire, uh, because generally those are reserved more for passenger vehicles. Um, and so, you know, mud and snow rated uh, tires, um, obviously mud terrain tires, obviously a lot of those have snow symbols on them as well. Uh, much like the dirt tracks do, uh, just another one of those things. If you want to go back and listen to that conversation, uh, that was just in episode 425. You know, snow tires. I think that's kind of cool. It's got the little snow uh, emblem on there. I know. I there. didn't know that. Hey, Wendy, uh, with our contacts at Nexon, do you think maybe we could get them to do a special uh, Nexon tire with like a man bun symbol on it? <laughs> a man bun? <laughs> I mean, if snowflakes are going to get their Listen, own tires. I'm not sure oh, I want to recommend that, but yeah, we'll try it. <laughs> but you Hello, know the Paul. Nexon tires? I had to go over Wolf Creek Pass. I believe it was Wolf Creek. One of the passes here in Colorado with the snow, and mm -hmm. they did just fine. Yeah, totally they're amazing fine. in the snow. Even though they don't have a snowflake on the outside of them, they're yeah. good for the snow. <laughs> I was, I, I was going to go out and look. I'm like, because mine did really good. And I ran the Dura tracks too, with snow in Maryland, and they did awesome <laughs> in the snow. So. That, was, that was a funny two years. Damn it, snow. Come on, snow. I know. I want to try out these tires. Damn it, snow. Come on. <laughs> It snowed right before I left and got to try them out yep, one yep. time. So, so. I, I'm curious if any of you guys have actually ridden or driven on any of those tires that have the studs in them. What is that like? Yeah. Do we know? Yeah, mm, it's sketchy as hell. <laughs> I, I would think, but I'm just curious if you I had mean, any experience well, with it. So, I mean, my experience is, okay, yeah, I had a car for, for a little while and I, and I threw those on and then it, it, it never snowed or, or iced and so i pulled them <laughs> off and it's like driving driving around on pavement and even wet pavement with these I mean, it's like uh, rolling around with ice skates and stuff i mean i don't okay. know I, I did not feel like i had um braking control or mm. or uh or, wow. or steering control that the way that sense. i should if i went into a corner a little hot i could feel myself start to push through it um, if I tried to brake too aggressively, you could hear them start to slide a little bit. So no, it's just it's one of those things where I I am a absolute I am absolutely against studded tires. Um, one they they tear up the road, and, and two they really don't provide you that good attraction. And if anything, they're unsafe if you're not on ice. So unless you live in like you know I don't know Montana or northern canada and in you know, six months out of the year it's it's you know, it's, it's all icy <laughs> and stuff then okay maybe fine but you know in the northwest or you're in a part the part of the country where it only snows maybe once or twice a year for f's sake get rid of the studded tires and learn how to effing drive and where do you exactly. where do you store the tires too because i mean you know tires take up a lot of space oh, it, you know in the garage in the you know that place where you where you park the car and you don't have any tools <laughs> exactly <laughs> Are you running out of time for all that tech talk? Oh, uh, yes, I am quite busy, Mr. Voice out of nowhere. Then how about a quickie? Ah, oh, jeez, I don't know. We just met, and I'm really not that kind of... It's time for Just the Tip. Oh, well, you could have at least just bought me a drink first or something. Oh, hey, watch it. Oh, what are you doing back there anyways? Oh, I wish I was a little bar soap. Bar soap. <laughs> 
If you've ever stayed in a hotel, then you've undoubtedly been aware of those little complimentary pre-packaged mini soaps that are in every hotel room from coast to coast. And I bet you didn't know they can be an invaluable trail repair tool, did you? You know what also works for this specific trail repair? Those decorative little seashell soaps in your friend's mom's guest bathroom. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, Mrs. McGreeny. I'm the one that took the little blue seashell. And I'll do it again, too. See? Well, these little mini bars of soap can come in handy for more than just the usual personal hygiene. Slip one or two in your off-road gear bag or even chuck one in the toolbox. Trust me, even going to the Dollar Tree to buy a couple of these things is going to be worth it just in case this particular issue comes up in your future. So, why soap? What issue am I talking about here? Well, bar soap can temporarily plug any non-pressurized hole such as a gas tank or possibly even your transfer case or differential housing. It's soft pliable enough and resists oil long enough for you to get down off the trail and back to base camp. Just be advised, soap can melt like any wax will, so the hotter it is, the shorter the lifespan. And in sub-zero temperatures, it might be a little bit harder to work with. Either way, use it like putty to make a haphazard tank repair. Just don't try and chew on it to soften it up first, okay? Hey, and if Ew. nothing else, you're going to have the <laughs> freshest smelling tool bag out of the whole group. Irish Spring. So, wow, so, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a great idea. And Irish Spring keeps the mice away. <laughs> I was just going to say you should add those to the bag and keep the mice out of the engine base. Oh, you need that for your Jeep, don't you, uh, Wendy? Yes, last week. It was awful. <laughs> so, Josh, uh, I, I don't know if you have this information or not, but okay. I've always been w wondered about this. Um, the three seashells on Demolition Man. How do you use those? <laughs> we are it's not really Jeep going talk there, show, are we? Fellas. <laughs> but it's but it's soap. I, well, maybe it's not soap. I don't know. It's just very confusing. Not soap. Well, if you have anything to add, or maybe you have a question or a topic you would like for us to cover on Tech Talk, just jump over to jeeptalkshow.com/contact and send us a message. Next week, we're going to get into the discussion of whether to sleeve your axle or truss it. And is there an option C? Hi, this is Alyssa. I'm a Jeep girl. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm out in Minnesota. This is Sean from California. This is Scott. This is Kiki Rocha. This is Amber. This is Lindsay from Jackson, Mississippi, and I love my BFG. 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 Especially on a red Jeep, because red Jeeps are sexy. And I also <laughs> love the Jeep talk show. I hope I'm not too late. <laughs> it's never too late. Never too late to love the Jeep Talk Show. <laughs> I like that one. From around the world. Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. We have Dan Gregg with us tonight. And uh, Dan's got a new book coming out. And the only way you're going to be able to get it is go over to Kickstarter. So right now, before you start listening to the interview, go to Kickstarter and search for The Road Chose Me. You're going to want to get in on this because this is going to be the only way to get this book. Now, we're talking to Dan Grek. Dan Grek has been with us many times before and a couple of times while in Africa. After years of working at a desk, Dan decided he, his life wasn't making him happy and needed to make a change. He began dreaming, saving, and planning to finally quit his job, sold all his stuff, and set his sights on the entire African continent, aiming to live the adventure uh, of a lifetime. And you did so in a Jeep. That's right, Tony. I did. I uh, 
Yeah, exactly what you said. I wasn't very happy working at a desk and I wanted to do something else with my life. And, you know, uh, I grew up in Australia and, and Jeeps were always this kind of iconic, like, adventure, go anywhere, you know, take the doors off, take the roof off, and you just immediately have a smile on your face. And I guess I grew up dreaming of doing that and I wanted to make that come true. So, Dan, do you even remember what you used to do in your old job, the sit at the desk uh, uh, type job, or have you? Or are you so far away from that now, or maybe you've blocked it out of your mind? <laughs> you know, I feel like I remember what I used to do, but I don't remember, you know, how I occupied forty hours a week doing it. It's just, it's crazy to think I spent so much of my life just sitting inside like that. I can well imagine, especially after uh, being outside and in the uh, the wilderness, so to speak, for so long. Now, this isn't your first adventure uh, to uh, circumnavigating Africa, is it? No, it's not, Tony. Uh, a, a long time ago, I had this same realization when, when I first quit my job and sold all my stuff. Uh, and I packed up my little Jeep TJ and I drove firstly to the very top of Alaska, up to Prudhoe Bay. And I was having such a good time and, you know, loving the camping and the adventure so I turned around and I drove all the way to the bottom of Argentina. Um, and so that, that expedition really got me hooked on this life and, and made me realize that I want to spend more of my time doing that instead of sitting at a desk. Now, I can well imagine that it, it, it's a, I, I, I would think in most people's minds is like, well, yeah, it'd be much more fun to, to be traveling every day. Uh, than it would be to go into work every day. But aren't there things that you miss, uh, the the stability, the the, the be able to, to drive to Walmart or whatever the, lo the local store is and pick up whatever you want? Uh, don't you miss some of that whenever you, you don't have that uh, stable job, that uh, day-to-day grind? Yeah, definitely, Tony. There are times and there are days where I really miss kind of the, the convenience of our world. And I miss, definitely I missed having a hot shower a lot. Um, I really missed having a washing machine because I had to wash my clothes by hand for three years. Um, so every now and again, it is, it is inconvenient and it is hard work. But overall, you know, looking back, it, it was totally worth it. But what parts of it are, I mean, and again, this is kind of like, I guess people could say this, this is a given. Obviously, this would be the most interesting thing. But I would think there's a lot of boredom involved, too. What, what was the thing that you, I guess, were surprised the most at what you were getting from being on this adventure instead of uh, the day-to-day -day grind? Uh, first of all, just let me say that there was never any boredom of any kind. Um, my, my standard catchphrase now is that there's no boring days in Africa. Uh, even when you're ready for a boring day, when you kind of want to rest, uh, that doesn't happen. <laughs> Something comes along to, you know, make things exciting. Um, but in terms of what I wasn't expecting, I guess I wasn't expecting to meet so many, like, tens of thousands of people who are immensely happy and joyous and really enjoying their lives, even though they have essentially no money. And that they, they have found a way to have all of this immense happiness and they hardly go to work at all, if at all. Many of them don't work ever. Um, and so this realization that, you know, our world that we've built with, you know, work and money and all of that, like it, it's good and it works, but it isn't necessarily the only way and it isn't necessarily the best way. It's just one way. Well, that's very interesting. How do they, uh, you know, it would scare the hell out of me providing for myself and my family. How do they eat? How do they get by? I mean, I, I understand that maybe electricity is uh, uh, something that they don't have a lot of, but uh, the, the basic necessities of eating and, and, and water, I guess you can collect water, but what do you do for food? 
Yeah, you know, they live a much more subsistence lifestyle. So virtually everyone or, you know, in the rural areas, they have mud huts that they've built themselves that are really, really nice and clean. Um, so that costs nothing. And then they have a couple of chickens for eggs. They have a little vegetable garden in the backyard. They maybe have a plot of land somewhere out of the village that has wheat. They maybe have a cow or a couple of goats running around for milk. And so they, you know, they grow their own vegetables and, and every now and again they kill a chicken to have meat. And so it's it's much simpler life. But actually, the very vast majority of people, they have plenty of food and they're, they're really happy with the food that they have. They're not, you know, in desperate need. And like you said, it's easy to collect your own water for free. That's not a problem. So it kind of strikes me, you're almost like, in some of these villages, you're almost like a, uh, a space traveler. And you're happening upon a planet in your spaceship, the Jeep. And uh, you come up there and you interact with the, the inhabitants of this planet and see how they live their lives. I can see how that would be like a, 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 even a, like a sci-fi adventure, just traveling the universe. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it, Tony. And, and what was really interesting was the realization that as much as I enjoy looking at their way of life and learning from them and understanding how their world works, you know, it was exactly the same for them looking at me. I was the oddball, I was the weird person, you know, and they would come over and, and want to touch my skin because they've never seen a white person and they would want to have a look at how the Jeep works. You know, everyone was just amazed when I would open the roof or, or when I would fill up a water bottle with clean drinking water, you know. So, I was there like as a cultural ambassador as much as anything else and, and that was an amazing realization and, and something I really enjoyed. I would be really surprised about that. Now, we've had you on uh, f on four occasions in the past, and I was always really surprised at how safe you were no matter where you went in Africa, you know, because we see all these things on TV with guards with AK-47s, nefarious purposes. Uh, maybe they're a little pissed off because, uh, you know, you're a foreigner, but you had none of that uh, in, in your entire travels, all 999 days when you were circumventing, <laughs> circumnavigating Africa. Right, Tony, and, and I think something that, that Hollywood or that the media forgets to tell us is that virtually everyone that has an AK-47 in Africa, they are professional military or police, and, you know, this is their career, this is how they've chosen to feed their family, and they've gone through extensive training, you know, to be a military officer, and so the idea that they would point an AK-47 at me or that they would try to hurt me I mean, they would go to jail for the rest of their life if they did that. And they know that. And, and they're professional soldiers, just like soldiers from our country. So, it, you know, Hollywood has really given us this skewed perspective that, that they're going to run around and just kind of like shoot anyone they want or, or be violent to anyone they want. Like, that just isn't reality. That just does not happen. That's great. To, that's great to know. And I was a little surprised. I guess I was a little disappointed, too, because, you know, you have these Hollywood type stories. I was uh, kind of thinking we were going to have some Hollywood type stories from you, but it was just everybody was very friendly. They were uh, loved seeing you. And uh, even the uh, the border, uh, border guards weren't uh, didn't you didn't have an issue with. So it, it was really very interesting. Gave you a lot of time to take some uh, beautiful pictures. That's right, Tony. And, and I think the reality is that you know, 99.9% .9 of people in the world, they're kind and friendly and happy and, and they just want a good life for their children and, and they're not interested in causing trouble or hurting anybody else. And so, if you go over to them and, and have a smile on your face and shake hands and, and say politely, you know, 
hello, how are you? I mean, they're going to react well to that. And and that's true. It, it doesn't matter if you're in Mali or if you're in, you know, North America or Europe. P- people are going to react the same way when you behave that way. So how were you able to uh, break the language barrier? Because I'm sure not everybody over there spoke English. No, that's right. And and so in West Africa, the majority of countries used to be French colonies. And so French is really the universal language. Um, and so I just took a crash course and, and taught myself really terrible street French, um, which was plenty enough. You know, once you know how to say the polite words like please and thank you and hello and, and you can smile and you can laugh, that's already enough to break the barrier. That's already enough to make people, you know, happy to have you in their village. And then, you know, you work harder and you learn more words so that you can actually enjoy your time and you can buy food from street vendors and all that kind of stuff. Um, So, French was really good on the West Coast. And then I learned a little bit of Portuguese for a couple of countries. Um, English was widely used in in Southern and Eastern Africa. And then there were a couple of countries where I did really struggle and we basically didn't have a language at all. And it didn't really matter. You know, like I said, you smile, you shake hands. Oftentimes when I was buying food from street vendors, I would just hold out money in my hand. They would take the right amount and then they would give me change. And, and we would smile and like thumbs up and, and everyone was happy. So, you know, la- language barrier, I don't think it's a big problem. If you smile and you laugh and you, you kind of be a little bit silly sometimes and, and that's a good thing. <laughs> I was just thinking about, uh, I've seen so many movies where uh, the, the, the hero is uh, in another country and he's, uh, he's a bit of a uh, newbie when it comes to the money conversions. And then the, 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 the comedian part of the, the, uh, of the picture will say, hey, do you know how, much, how many lira you just spent? And you, you all, so I think Hollywood's taught us that we're always going to overpay if we don't know what the exchange rate is. So that's, that's very interesting how that was handled. So everybody's just very trustworthy and friendly. And, uh, uh, that's, that's, that's absolutely wonderful. It, it makes it sound like it would be a, uh, a paradise to travel and, uh, uh, the overlanding adventure that you went through. It didn't seem like it's very stressful. Um, uh, maybe I'm painting a bad picture then, Tony. <laughs> I think it, it depends entirely on where you're going. It depends on the seasons. You know, when it's pouring rain, the roads become really, really difficult and that's stressful. Um, getting the visas to travel through these regions is stressful. Um, and it can be that, you know, there are days where it's difficult and you're not sure if you're safe or not. Um, and then inevitably you meet people who are friendly and kind. But it, it, it definitely, especially West Africa, is, is very difficult and stressful to travel through. Interesting. Um, yeah. So I know that I remember from a, a prior uh, a conversation we had, you actually, I think it was the Congo that you had to travel like long distance, all alone, one Jeep, uh, fully locked, just so you could get from point A to point B. It, was it the Congo that you had to do that in? Um, the Congo, I actually convoyed with a German couple in their vehicle. Um, but it was, yeah, when, when we drove in, we, we were fully expecting, you know, it will be impossible to buy gas. It will be impossible to buy food. We have to be self-sufficient for as long as it will take us to cross this country. It was, uh, I, I just couldn't, uh, in my mind, it, when you're in a situation where you're fully locked, uh, you're doing maximum stress to the vehicle. And if anything happens, uh, you're kind of, kind of stuck. You got to fix your, fix your rig and, uh, to be able to move along. And you're so far away from everything else. That would be stressful, but it would be a hell of an adventure. And, and that's, the, that's the amazing part, Tony, where you're right. It is stressful and it is kind of exhausting, 
But every now and again, you have those moments where you look around and you realize you think like, I am in the Congo. I am like, you know, on a ferry crossing the Congo River with a bunch of locals on this beat up ferry. Like, this is the most epic thing I've ever done in my whole <laughs> life. So, you have these moments of clarity where you like can't stop grinning like an idiot. And then 10 minutes later, it's stressful again when you try to drive through a really deep mud pit. <laughs> well, I mean, that's part of it. It's like going to an amusement park. It, it may be stressful uh, being on the roller coaster, but once you've made it over that uh, hill or that uh, drop and everything and you're just fine, you have this sense of elation. So I would imagine something similar happened to you. You had the stress and you managed to get through it. This has got to be a real confidence builder for your, for your uh, ego as well. Absolutely, Tony. You're right that I feel like there's a relationship between the amount of effort you put into something and the amount of reward that you get out of it. You know, if, if you just do things that are always easy, you know, it's kind of easy to sit on the couch and watch Netflix, you, you don't really feel very rewarded about that. But if you choose to go climb up a mountain or run a marathon or, or something that's quite difficult and takes a lot of effort, you, you have a really good sense of achievement. And so, I feel like there's a, there's a really close relationship there. And, and doing this expedition, you know, it, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life without question, but it also was the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Now, your, your first trip, remind me again, that was from where to where? It was from the top of Alaska to the very bottom of Argentina. So, all of North, Central, and South America, 16 countries, 40,000 miles. At the risk of, of asking a stupid question, what was the biggest difference between that one and then going all around Africa? It's, it's hard to pinpoint a singular difference, Tony. Um, and especially because West Africa is significantly different to East Africa. They're, they're not really comparable. Um, but I would say Central and South America are actually a lot more developed even than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there is electricity, internet, running water, showers, supermarkets, campgrounds, all of kind of the, the things that we expect from our world. Maybe they're a bit run down or, you know, they don't quite function properly, but they do exist and, and you can get them. Whereas in the remote parts of Africa, that stuff just doesn't exist. It just isn't there yet. So, in, in some degrees, I guess Africa is almost like going back in time 50 years or 100 years in terms of development and in terms of kind of infrastructure. Um, and depending on where you were, some places were very developed and some places very not developed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you probably will look and look back at this in 50 years and uh, it'll be a completely different world. And uh, you, uh, your decision to do this uh, gave you an insight that you wouldn't otherwise ha have had. And I would assume that there was a, uh, a bit of a stress and uh, a concern about uh, making this happen and quitting your job and doing this. Fortunately, you had gone through something like this uh, uh, prior, but it, it still, you know, you, the payoff is, is that you, you went through this thing that you will be able to look back on and it will never be that way again. It's going to change. It's going to improve because that's what we do here on Earth. So uh, I suspect they will get more developed over time. So uh, you got a very small slice of time that you were able to experience that uh, that will never be able to be experienced before. And, you know, thinking about that, is there any way – I know that you had done some articles for magazines and you did a lot of posting. You have your, your website, The Road Chose Me. Uh, and there was ways of people following you along that way, but is there another way that they can uh, maybe experience some of the things you experienced? Right, yeah, Tony. I, I have a YouTube channel as well, and so there are videos from pretty much every country in Africa, 
And I tried really hard just to show what it looks like everyday life on the ground. Like it's not high production value. It isn't kind of me in a hotel or anything. It's just <laughs> I'm out in the, in the streets, you know, with regular people. Mm -hmm. So the videos are a good way to see what Africa looked like. And then I'm just putting the finishing touches on my book that I'm writing about Africa and about my expedition there. And so it's, it's all of the adventures I had, all of the misadventures, the lessons I learned from the people of Africa. And also a significant part of it is about the perspective, I think, that we in the Western world have about Africa versus what was it really like while I was there on the ground for three years. And, and it was very different to, to what, you know, people thought it was going to be like. I know I was very surprised. Uh, obviously, I've asked about the same things on all the uh, uh, interviews that we've done. I, I was really, for myself, I would have been concerned about my, uh, from my personal safety, and I was really happy to hear that that wasn't a situation for you. Now, uh, in this book that you're, you're doing, when will this book be available? So, uh, Tony, I've just launched a Kickstarter for this book. Um, it's called The Road Chose Me, Volume 2, Three Years and 54,000 Miles Around Africa. Um, and so that Kickstarter is running from now until March 14th. So uh, the, the Kickstarter, remind me how that works. You can you obviously go over there and you can uh, uh, spend money. Is that, are you pledging money? And then uh, once you hit a goal, that, that money gets taken out or how does that work? Yeah, that's exactly what happens, Tony. So there's, there's a few different tiers where people can choose how much money they'd like to contribute. And, you know, at the first tier, it's just the book itself. And then next tier includes some stickers and patches and then my other books that I've written um, and, you know, increasing cost amounts. And what happens is if enough people pledge money, then I hit my goal um, and then it will all go ahead. And so I can go and have the book printed. And, and the goal of this Kickstarter is to get it printed with color photos in the interior. So this is quite expensive and I need to order a large batch of them to make it uh, cost effective. And so I need a certain number of people to sort of say, you know, yes, we, we will buy the book. And then I can go ahead, order the big batch of them and then send them out to everybody who will then get this, this limited edition copy of the book that will never be for sale otherwise. Oh, very nice. Now, uh, I think I remember seeing some things in there about uh, patches and uh, the, the book being 110,000 words, 385 pages, uh, and right. uh, all kinds of color photos. Now, I've been watching the color photos over the years, so you'll be using a lot of the photos that you took uh, going across Africa that maybe uh, some, some of those uh, iconic photos that you had taken. That's right, Tony. And I'm, I'm trying really hard to show photos, you know, that they're not necessarily the glossy magazine photo. Mm -hmm. They're kind of more the like, you know, this is what it actually looked like when I was in this village or when, you know, I got stuck in this mud pit. It's kind of the, the, the on the ground details, which is really what the book is all about. It's not, it's not the glossy magazine version of the story. I, I try really hard to be honest. You know, I talk about loneliness. I talk about going by myself. Um, I talk about some some safety situations that cropped up that weren't ideal. So it's it's kind of the raw version of what it actually was like to be there for three years. Well, this is great. And I know there's a, a, a big uh, interest in overlanding. And it, maybe you haven't uh, gotten to the point where you actually want to go overlanding or certainly not uh, move to Africa for, uh, for three years and just travel around. But this will give you a way of seeing what it's like firsthand because Dan's done it. 
the road chose me and uh, so really the the book is not going to come out until the kickstarter uh hopefully the uh you hit your goal and then uh, the book will come out do you have any kind of idea a, a time frame in mind that that's going to be available or, or is it just really dependent upon a kickstarter the kickstarter finishes on march 14th and basically from then on i would be going to a publisher or a printer to get it printed and i will be sending them out in may of 2020 okay so yeah people will have these in their hand in may so coming up pretty soon so there's no doubt the book's going to happen uh kickstarter uh uh gets completed or not you, you've got this plan so the books will be available in may 2020 and if you if you want to get a book the only way you're going to be able to get the books that you're doing through the kickstarter is by going over and pledging is that correct yeah, that's right. The, I'll never again be able to print this uh, this edition with colour photos in the interior. So this is a limited one-time thing. You know, hopefully I can get enough support to bring it together and make it happen. And then later on down the road, the, the black and white edition will be for sale. Oh, okay. That makes sense now. Yep. So this is really a special deal. If you really want to get those colour photos and have a really nice uh, book and, a, and Dan's story, this is the one you want to get. So you need to get over there to the Kickstarter, which we will have the link in our show notes. Do you have a uh, do you have a, a link that we could tell them, or do, do they really need to be able to, to see it on the screen? Um, I'm sure if, if they go to kickstarter.com and then search for The Road Chose Me, I'm sure it'll come up. Okay. So uh, yeah. what, what kind of uh, – now I would assume that you, uh, any, anything they want to pledge is fine, but – what are your your various levels uh, that uh, and, and I apologize if you don't have it in front of you. I've got it here in case you want me to fill it in. But what would people uh, you know pledge, and then what would they expect to get besides the book? Right. So the the first level itself is, is just the book with the color interior photos, and that's about twenty two US dollars um, to be delivered in May. And then the next tier up would be a signed edition of that color book with a sticker and a patch, which are kind of limited edition commemorating the Africa expedition. And that one is about 32 US dollars. And then it kind of goes up from there. Then the next tier includes my Africa photography book. So I've, I've published a, a 75 page book, full color with all of my photos, my best photos from Africa. Um, and so that would be included as well. And that one's about 55 US dollars. And then it goes up to about 70 US dollars, including my first book, which is uh, all of the stories from Alaska to Argentina. Um, and so it just kind of goes up from there where I'm including more and more, you know, of my books or my photos or, or things that I've kind of created over the years. Now, I found it very interesting on the Kickstarter, on your Kickstarter page about the stretch goals. Uh, you mm. have in here uh, 15,000, and is that Canadian dollars? Is that what the CA is, or is that California it, it, dollars? <laughs> it is Canadian dollars, yeah, because because I'm based in Canada, the, the whole thing has to be done in Canadian dollars. Yeah, no problem. I, I assumed it was Canada, and I thought, <laughs> hey, maybe it's California. They make laws uh, like they're going out of style over there. But the, for, for 15000 Canadian dollars, backers' name in print, the names of all backers will be added to the print book. So this special edition book would actually have your name in it, which I think is kind of cool. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I would really hope to get to that level so that I can thank everyone and say, you know, with, without their support, this never would have happened. And, and this color edition of the book will, will never come to life. Well, you know what? I think I'm misunderstanding. I was thinking that if somebody spent 15000 Canadian dollars, they got this. Uh, it's just if you so, hit that level, this is what you're yes. going to do. Yeah, uh, if, if you get to that level, then everybody's name who has contributed, will, their name will be in the book. 
Now, I think you were telling me you've only had this Kickstarter going for a day, and I, I think it's going amazingly well. I've never done a Kickstarter, but this seems to be going very quickly. I think it's going well, Tony. Yeah, I, you know, people are people know the trip that I made, and they're interested to sort of hear the, the full story. Um, and so it's great. People are people are supporting me, and I'm really happy with that. Now, how how have you advertised this other than like coming on this show? Have you done any advertisement anywhere else? Um, you know, I've been kind of shouting it out across my social media um, and my website, and you know, just across Facebook and Instagram, and just sort of oh, that's getting great. it out to the Overland community. That is great. I'm glad to hear that because I was thinking maybe you had been on uh, the, the the Today Show or the View or something to get you know this kind of numbers after just so short a time. That's no, uh, that's been, great. I mean, if the Today Show wanted to have me on, I'd be happy about that. <laughs> Actually, I'm surprised they wouldn't have you on because it's a, a very interesting story. Uh, and uh, it, there's a lot of things that people, I think, have in their mind that are not that way about uh, traveling across country in Africa and the friendliness of the people. So uh, I, I think it's a wonderful story. So let me just make sure I've got this correctly. If you want to get this specific book with color photos, uh, you, you have to be part of the Kickstarter campaign. I mean, there's, there's no two ways about it. There'll, there's going to be another copy of the book, but it's going to be black and white. It's going to have, uh, I would assume, the same, uh, uh, the same writing, but it's not going to be that same level of uh, uh, beautiful uh, pictures and uh, so on and so forth. Right. That's, that's exactly right, Tony. Excellent. Well, this is a very good reason, other than just supporting our friend Dan out there uh, and, uh, and his three years going through uh, the adventure in Africa. This is a great reason for you to get over there and pledge your uh, uh, Canadian dollars. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. They do a conversion for you for regular dollars if you're uh, uh, paying American. And uh, get this, uh, this book. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how well you do on the Kickstarter, Dan. And I, I certainly hope we're able to uh, help you with that. We'll certainly be uh, promoting you on our uh, social media and uh, helping you make this, uh, this book a reality for everybody. Oh, well, thanks very much, Tony. I, I appreciate that. And, and I know, yeah, people, people want to get into overlanding and they want to kind of learn more or understand more about what it's like when you kind of go for it. And, and I want to share that with people because I like to say, like, I'm just an average guy. I just went for it one day and, and I made mistakes and I didn't know what I was doing and, you know, nothing about what I did was perfect. But that's okay because that's part of the journey and the learning and the adventure and that I, I would hope that people out there, they aren't afraid to have a go themselves. You know, I don't want anyone to think you have to be perfect or you have to, you know, nail it the first time. It's like, no, it's okay to kind of make it up as you go along and, and make mistakes and that's all, that's all part of it. Now, Dan, uh, I'll diverge here real quick. I'm looking at some of the images you have up on Kickstarter, and I see you, uh, there's a picture of you uh, in front of the pyramids of, in Egypt. There's, okay. another, there's another picture of you uh, with an uh, AK-47 in your hands. Dan, that is the classic thing they do in Hollywood. They, they hand you an AK for, for, a, uh, for a photo shoot, then they shoot you. So don't do that, man. That's <laughs> You're lucky to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny, actually, Tony. Um, I, I'm a hunter. I, I have a hunting rifle. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess when I got to Africa, you know, I started seeing all these military people with AK-47s and I was like, I would really like to hold one. You know, I don't need to fire one, but it would be nice just to just to hold one, you know, to see how it feels. Yeah. And so all across Africa, I was asking and asking and asking and asking. And of course, I mean, these military guys, they're never going to let me hold their rifle. You know, they, they might get in trouble. So I never did get to hold one. And then actually that photo is from Ethiopia. So it's in like the last couple of months of the whole journey. 
And Ethiopia is a bit of a different country. Like regular folk have AK-47s. They're protecting their cows or whatever the reason is. And I'd been in Ethiopia less than two minutes when I saw some guys <laughs> on the side of the road. They're just wearing like traditional clothing. Right. And they're like leaning on their AK-47s like they're walking sticks. And so I got out of the Jeep and we were smiling and I gave them some water and we didn't share a language, but it didn't really matter. And they could tell I was interested in it. So I sort of, I pointed at the rifle and then like mimicked me holding it. And the guy just immediately held it out and gave it to me just like that. <laughs> so <laughs> after nearly three years of trying, suddenly it was just like, no problem. Here you go. <laughs> That's always the way it is. It's just uh, so simple. Well, this is a, you know, I've always been intrigued by your story and I'm so glad that you've taken the time not only to d just do the adventure, but take the time to, uh, you know, actually write this book and make it available because all of this is effort. I mean, it's a lot of effort and I would imagine the book is not nearly as fun as traveling across Africa. <laughs> so thank you so much for putting that together and all the other things that you've done, writing articles for magazines, online magazines and, and posting everything. Now, uh, I don't think we mentioned your, the full uh, name on your website because it's too interested in asking you stuff, but it's the roadchosemecom correct? That's right, yeah. And, and that's also my name across social media. So Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, it's all The Road Chose Me. So if you don't want to wait to see uh, to go to the show notes, just go to Kickstarter and look for The Road Chose Me. And I, I think it's specifically The Road Chose Me, uh, Volume 2, 3 Years and 54K uh, Miles in Africa. So just do you a search on The Road Chose Me, and I bet you you'll see uh, Dan and his uh, friendly smiling face and his very, very much an Indiana Jones-style hat that he wears. So, <laughs> yeah, you need a whip, you know. Give you, you need to walk around with a whip. And anybody watching the Anita Jones sock, I'll go, ooh, yeah, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones. <laughs> That's a good idea. Should I, well, I, I've always wanted an Indiana Jones leather jacket. You know, he's oh, yeah. sort of beat up, dark brown. Every time I'm in a thrift store and I, one day I'm, I'm definitely going to buy one. It's like a lot of gold <laughs> mine. <laughs> so, real quick, we're, we're going really long on this, but uh, this is too bad. Uh <laughs> what's the next adventure tony i i'm pretty exhausted i'll be honest with you after <laughs> africa i i no, have dreams no they can't say they're not going to go on another adventure no 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 i i have dreams and i have plans and i'm working on some new adventures but actually for for the summer of 2020 i'm going to be touring across canada and doing a speaking tour so i've got a presentation that i give where i talk about and i show photos and i show videos you know, of all the stuff that I experienced in Africa, the good times, the bad times, the, the friendly people, the wildlife, the Jeep, kind of all of it packaged up into like an hour and a half or a two-hour talk. Um, so, I'm really excited. I'm going to be living in the Jeep again full-time as I move across Canada and I get to, you know, share the whole story with people, which I really love doing, as you can tell. Now, I don't want to make any promises, but I do have a, uh, a way of uh, communicating with Elon Musk. Uh, oh, it, it, it is Twitter. He, he hasn't actually responded, but I, I know he reads my tweets. I'm sure of it. I can feel it. Yep. I'm yep. going to recommend you for the Mars mission so that you can actually go on an overlanding millions and millions of miles away. And then uh, I, I got to get my, my name in the book for the, the Mars, the Road Chose Me Mars edition. Okay. That would be sweet. I mean, sign me up. I am in. But the question is, is there a return journey or is this I a don't, one way I deal? think that's the trick is he's not yeah, planning on no. bringing anybody back. Uh, I, I, I like the idea of a return journey myself. <laughs> well, you can always fake you got a stomach ache and you got to go home, right? Well, that's true. Maybe they'll go for that. They, they could spare a, a rocket ship to bring me back. 
Dan, I can't uh, thank you enough for uh, being on the show again. Uh, five times, man. This is great. You, you're definitely the the most prolific uh, interview that we've done. And I know I asked you the same dumb questions over and over again, but it's just it's really just uh, it just amazes me this the safety aspect and the being alone aspect. But uh, boy, what an adventure! You guys can share this adventure. Get over there to Kickstarter. The road shows me. Just do a search for that, or look for it in our show notes. And you can be a part of this historic uh, adventure that Dan went on, full color. You're not going to be able to get this book any other way because the book that will follow this is only going to be in black and white. So if you want to get the beautiful color photos, get you a signed copy. Spend a little bit more, donate a little more, I mean, pledge a little more, and get you a signed copy. I think autographed books are just wonderful because it's not only are you reading the words and the thoughts of the individual uh, in the book. Now you actually have them signing the book uh, as well. And I, I think that is just a wonderful thing to do, Dan. Thank you again so much for being on the show and for putting together the book. Tony, thanks again for having me. It's it's a real pleasure. And, you know, I feel lucky to be part of this Jeep world and, and I can't wait to have more adventures. A oh, big thanks and a big Jeep wave goes out to Dan Gregg for taking the time to talk about his book, The Road Chose Me, Volume 2. The cover looks great. I'm sure it's going to be just as good as the first volume. The Jeep Talk Show has pledged to Dan's Greg, Dan Gregg's book, and you should too. Go to kickstarter.com, search for The Road Chose Me, and we're going to have the link in the show notes for this episode, on this episode too for that, so I uh, make it really easy for you to find that. Do you have an idea for a guest? We want to hear what that is. Maybe you work in the off-road industry or know somebody who does. Maybe you would like to be a guest on the Jeep Talk Show just to tell your own Jeep story. Hey, everybody's got one, and we want to hear yours. No, really. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com contact right now and share your ideas for our next great guest. Who knows? Very well, could be you. Wendy? Yes? You need to brace yourself. I need to what? What? Where's the noob? Noob! 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 Hey, newbie! Newbie! Noob Nugget. It's time for Newbie Nuggets. I like it. (laughs) That is really good. You guys did a good job. Oh, hats off to Josh. Josh does the best ones. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, there's so much exciting information to cover when trying to inform new Jeepers. Today's topic is, what items should you carry in your Jeep? There are literally hundreds of things you can add to your Jeep, some more useful than others and some more necessary than others. One of the things I like about Jeeping with others is to check out what gear they have on board. We have collected a lot of gear over the years, but we always seem to see something else we need when looking at someone else's setup. Not quite sure why that happens. So as you start collecting stuff to include in your Jeep, I put together a list of basic items that you may want to consider. This is just a basic setup. I've got eight of them to start with. Uh, number one is a tow strap, so you can pull your buddy out. You know, you want to use an actual rated tow strap, not a rope. Ropes will stretch and break. Straps usually have about a 20,000 pound rating or higher. Number two, tow hooks or attachment points, sometimes also known as recovery D-rings or shackles. Important if you get stuck and your buddy needs to latch on and help pull you out. Good ones are also rated. They run about $20. Another item is a basic toolkit. This is a good set of tools. At minimum would be a couple of screwdrivers, a small set of wrenches, an adjustable wrench, pliers, channel lock pliers, a set of vice grip pliers, and some work gloves. Now you're also going to want to put in some duct tape, bailing wire, zip ties, and a ratchet tie-down strap. You'd be surprised how many times we've used these items on others that have broken down. 
Sometimes you can mend just enough to get off the trail. Another item is a high lift jack. There may be times your regular jack just won't cut it. You do need to operate this with care. This tool can inflict some real pain and injury if you're not paying attention. And I've actually seen it happen. It's not a pretty sight. Another item is a first aid kit. You'd be surprised how many bumps and bruises you get climbing in and around obstacles. And it's nice to have a quick fix if you got a little cut or something going on there. A fire extinguisher, class ABC, stored securely and easily accessible. Usually runs about $30 to $50. A CB or ham radio. Now we've discussed the their options are options on previous episodes but for the beginner if money's an issue a cb would be a nice interim radio until you decide on the next upgrade and the final item is a trash bag i like the trash pouch this is essential to any jeeping experience pack out what you brought don't litter and take all of your trash out with you in fact while you're there pick up any trash that you see along the trail the trash pouch fits on the spare tire on the back of your jeep so the trash stays out of the Jeep and they run about $35 to $45. So guys, I have a question for you and Tammy. What other essential item would you add? Keep in mind, this is just a basic list. We're going to add to it later on in the episodes. But what would you guys add? Any, any ideas? Well, I would say a soft shackle. Oh, yes. I, very yeah, good. I think they're... They're just really quick and easy. I actually keep all my recovery straps, soft shackles, and all that underneath my front seat. Mm -hmm. um, it's so easy to just grab it instead of digging around in the back of your Jeep, especially if you're stuck in the mud or the water. Um, you can just reach under there and grab it. Yeah, that's a great one. Josh, my, you got one? Mine is, uh, yeah, it, it's called Rescue Tape. It goes by some other names as well, but it's basically mm -hmm. self-sealing silicone tape. Um, this stuff, I mean, it, it has, you know, PSI up to like 1,000, uh, resists uh, a voltage, uh, has a temperature rating of over 500 degrees, um, self-fusing, it's permanent, uh, semi-permanent at least, waterproof, airtight. You can use this to fix anything from a fuel line, brake line, uh, radiator line. I mean, virtually I like weird, it. weird stuff. I guarantee you, this is uh, from crashed alien technology. It is that strange? Seriously, seriously. I started wow. seeing this stuff at like the gun shows and uh, at CPAC, a big ham radio convention out here on the west coast in Oregon that happens every year. Um, and and the stuff is just absolutely next level amazing. If you haven't heard of it, if you haven't seen it, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just open up Google right now and do a search for self healing. Uh, silicone tape and you're probably going to find a number of different um, options and stuff out there um, but uh, yeah the one that I was talking about the emergency tape or whatever it uh, I mean it's, it's seriously probably one of the best things to add to your kit for your fix it kit or your emergency kit or oh crap kit or whatever you want to call it it's, it should be in a roll of this it is, that's that's a really good one to mention and that and, is good and I think you mentioned it already Josh but it is not sticky it sticks to itself but right. it is not sticky yeah, so I mean, if you if you wrap it around your radiator tube, it's oh crap! I need to go back a couple inches. It, you just unwrap it, and and as long as you haven't you know pulled it against itself too terribly tight, um, and then you can you can sort of undo it. But once that it, it once it, it it is stretched and pulled against itself and sealed any more than a few seconds, and and it's it's gonna be there. Um, <laughs> well, it's it's one of those things to where it comes with a protective cover. You have to peel the film off, type of thing. And once that gets uh, some air to it, a uh, chemical reaction starts happening, and that silicone will start basically sealing itself to itself, and you're not going to get it apart after that. 
well, this is a great idea. I'm actually just added that to my list because now I've got to add more things there. So yeah, thank you, sorry Josh. About that's that. great. I know I can make people spend <laughs> money and stuff. <laughs> it's right, it's and really not that expensive. No, I mean like uh, like the big rolls of this stuff are, are like twenty bucks, but I mean mo- usually you can get this the the rolls of tape uh, of this uh, you know rescue tape or, or emergency tape uh, for for around ten bu- ten dollars a yeah. roll, and that's one also, roll that's really honestly is is more than enough for any trail repair. Well, I mean you, yeah. you you pop a hose, I mean you split a hose, a radiator hose, and you use this to to fix it. I mean that alone, and it's fixed. Yeah, 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 it's yeah good. really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean obviously you still want to replace right. that, but you could then. Keep that repaired hose as an emergency spare Backup, if you ever yes. were to, you know, to, to pop your other one. I mean, it still yeah. will get you off the trail. You don't want to use it for another thousand miles, but it will get you off the trail. That's cool. Tony, you got, an, you got one? Yeah, this is more of a, uh, a just a general all-around tool. I would recommend like a Glock 9 mil or 40 cal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, any, buddy. Any, brand, any brand that you uh, that you like, uh, you know, if you want to get the 45 caliber, the you know, the one from World War II that uh, jams right. every every third round, that's fine too. You do what you want. I'll, you know what I'll do for you, Tony, is I'll make a list later on in my segment just for those things. That sounds good. Now, I do have a question for you. Uh, the uh, I've looked at fire extinguishers many times. Uh, I know it's very important to have one, especially when you have an older vehicle. Uh, and I've always not pulled the trigger because of the, the expense. Um, <sighs> and then the reason why is they don't last forever. Do you have an idea? I don't know if you were, were prepared or not for how often you have to replace these things. I mean, is it a, a $50 bill every six months? I'm not sure about the actual length of time, but I, I know Josh that, knows. <clears throat> I, well, I know for it, us it's smaller. You know, we have a smaller one, so the cost is a little bit less too yeah. because we had to find a place to put it. So, and the real key word there is easily accessible. Oh, absolutely. Think about that. Yeah. So, Josh, go ahead. Well, it also kind of really depends on the environment in which it's stored in. Now, um, like a, your garage or a closet in your home or something like that, um, a standard fire extinguisher can last up to about 12 years or so. At least 10 um, is, is a good roundabout number to, to go off of. Obviously, just about every fire extinguisher out there has a dial indicator on it. It'll let you know um, sort of uh, what's going on inside. Uh, and if you're if you had that fire extinguisher on your Jeep for 10 years... Uh, and the dial is still good, well, oh, maybe go ahead and think about retiring it pretty soon. Um, but if you've had it for six years and um, and the dial is starting to show some movement, uh, definitely time to replace that. Yeah. But yeah, ABC uh, fire extinguishers generally have a lifespan of 10 to 12 years, uh, depending on the environment. If you see a, a lot of, um, uh, of temperature swings, extreme temperature swings, that may be decreased by a year or two. So... Um, but yeah, you know, I well, would say not, ten years. Ten that's years not bad. Max. I mean, I was no, thinking maybe I mean, it was a couple of years. I was thinking it was 50. a couple of years or something like that. And you no. know, I'm just cheap. I'd rather spend that money on something you know so that will burn up in the fire when well, it starts on my Jeep. And even if you do have to spend fifty dollars, and honestly, I think I have my uh, uh, the the one that I got. Tammy and I each got one of these uh, Kid A fire extinguishers that we ended up having to have a recall exchanged uh, out, uh, exchanged out because of a recall. Right. Um, I mean, those are going to last another another ten plus years. But, uh, you know, and and those were like 20 bucks, maybe 25 bucks or something like that, uh, if that even. And those are the ones that would kill you. 
Uh, they've they've gone up since then because they stopped yeah. using the plastic ends. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, but if you have to spend twenty five bucks every ten years, I think that's worth uh, you know preventing your Jeep from burning down to the ground. I think it was well, assisted suicide they were going with instead of killing you. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Wendy. Well, and also too, sometimes when you do a, an actual run with a club or with the group, it's part of the requirement as far oh, as yeah. the checklist goes oh, to have a fire extinguisher. So part of what I listed here were things that you would find on some of those checklists. But also, we're going to add to this as the time goes in episode. I, we just don't have enough time to show and talk about everything that you put in that list. So, But those are good. I like that. And Josh, thank you for that idea on the rescue tape. So, um, so let me just say, keep in mind that these items should be dedicated to the Jeep and always be there if needed. Don't mm-hmm. remove them. Don't be taking them out when you're done with the run. Leave them in there. It's always better to be looking at them than looking for them. And that's just good things. So that's just good advice right there. Yeah, seriously, that's it. So, all right. Well, now we're going to have our first Jeep experience from Tony. So, Tony, share. All right. I'm happy to share this. Uh, It's a little embarrassing. I was young at the time. Uh, I I, I really wanted to get the 37 inch uh, tires. It was an older woman. She said that she would be happy to pay for them. Tony. Oh, I'm wait, I'm sorry that you said Jeep experience. This was my truck. I'm sorry. I, 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 I completely screwed that up. Um, my first Jeeping experience was after I put a four, four and a half inch lift on my Cherokee and 32 inch tires. And uh, my oldest daughter and I were headed over to some place to get something to eat. Actually, we were probably coming back. And there was a, an area that uh, they were doing some sort of construction. And uh, they had this nice big hill that they had... Uh, uh, put up so that nobody could get in there and i said well screw that so we just took off and uh at one point she remembers looking down at me from about uh, two feet higher than me because one side of that hill was was taller than the other and we <laughs> and we went up and over that uh, you know fully uh that, that the that, nothing was disconnected it was you know just driving jeep lifted and on big tires or bigger tires <laughs> and she remembers that to, to this day because she had never been off road before i had uh, in that uh, truck i was talking about but uh, it was a little uh, surreal looking up at her because we were at such an angle in the Jeep. Yeah, I, I can only imagine that being so. Were you a little bit off camera then? Is that what you're saying? Oh, very Part much the, so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So we just drove out there, and uh, it was just a nice little uh, dirt trail, really next to a uh, uh, reservoir uh, tributary, and uh, we drove down there and came back, and then of course we had to go back over that mound <laughs> to get back on the road. <laughs> so a little bit of illegal wheeling a few years ago. Yeah, that's always fun. That's how you get started, though, right? Oh, absolutely. Sort of have to give it a try. So that's wonderful. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. We appreciate it. I know the listeners do, too. So next week, we'll continue to share some newbie ideas, and we'll hear from Josh's first time out in his Jeep. You can also view some great videos uh, on our YouTube channel, Jeep 4-1-1, with tips, tricks, and techniques. And Josh, you need to keep it clean. Well, (laughs) do my best. I didn't put any parameters on it. I just said your first experience. I mean, come on. Um, Tony, it's you that need to be worrying about keeping <laughs> stuff. That's the joke, Josh. Tammy. That's the joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh. are, are you a newbie or maybe you remember something important you learned when you first became a Jeeper? Reach out and let me know your newbie story. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact to find out all the ways to contact us. From the mind of Nikki G. This portion of Nikki G brought to you by Unexpected Mud Puddles. Want to invent new cuss words? Try stepping in an unexpected mud puddle. That's mud puddles. 
Hey, this is Nikki G, and I'm glad to hear from Tammy. Uh, wondering how you've been. Glad to hear you're doing okay. Sorry to hear that you're having a hard time finding a job, and uh, don't feel discouraged that you got turned down at a ho cleaning hotel rooms. That reminds me of a stay I had recently at a cheap motel. Uh, I've got an audio <laughs> clip that went something like this. Hello, front desk. Can I get some clean towels? Are you sure? And, a, and some of those little shampoos. Oh, jeez. And I, I don't know how to say this, but I, I think there's a homeless guy living in my shower. This is scary ass shit. Tammy, I miss you. And I hope you're making it to the invasion this spring. I have a stockpile of magnets. She knows what I'm talking about. All right, boys and girls, I'll catch you later and have a good one. Bye. <laughs> Dying over here. I've had enough excitement for the day. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is the best Nikki G ever. I, I would agree. That's awesome. <laughs> that was hysterical. Oh. Sadly, Nikki G's not going to be with us anymore because uh, he's doing better than the rest of the show. <laughs> you must have needed this every day. It's the Jeep Talk Show's must-have stuff. Pick of the week for your Jeep. And if your Jeep is a 1997 to 2001 Jeep Cherokee and possibly even any year TJ, which don't quote me on that one, then you must have this item. This is the Metro 95-6554B dash kit, otherwise known as the only true way to cleanly put a double DIN or a two-tall stereo, uh, four-inch tall stereo in your dash. Um, it, the kit is painted matte black, finishes your factory dash color or, you know, the, the same center console uh, color, the center trim anyways. Uh, fits all 97 to 2001 Jeep Cherokees, and it might fit the TJs as well. Comes with all the screws, the bezel itself, and even some bracketry to, to mount into the sub-dash and to the stereo itself, making this a permanent or semi-permanent installation. Very clean, uh, and it makes it look like it's factory, make it look like it's supposed to be there. And best of all, if you want to put a double DIN in your dash, you don't have to hack things all up. This takes care of it all for you. So we're going to have a link in the show notes for this episode. So I just got one of these things, and I searched, uh, was it near and far, uh, high and low, uh, for one of these things. Now, you can get them for the TJs. Uh, there's like 10 different manufacturers on Amazon selling these for the TJs. And Josh, I think you might be right. This thing might actually fit a TJ, but the critical bit of this kit are the, uh, the parts that they give you to mount the radio, the 7-inch uh, ah. double DIN to the to the dash uh and that it's critical and it's going to make my installation so much easier uh because of uh, the this really cockeyed way they've got these mounts because it, yeah. it actually fits not on the the mounting holes for the uh the din and a half radio that goes in there it actually fits on the uh, climate control the two uh top screws that's where oh. the, these mounting brackets go on and uh, but anyway, I'm very excited about this because I was not looking forward to actually having to uh, epoxy and sand and glue and bondo and everything and then paint yeah, and sand that. and yeah. So uh, I got this in. Damn excited about it. I I, I couldn't find one, but uh, luckily uh, Greg Level 
posted on the Jeep Talk Show group on Facebook about him installing a double DIN. It wasn't a, a touchscreen Android like what I have, just a standard double DIN radio. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's going to be upgrading to that in the future. But he just did this over the weekend, mentioned this. Uh, I, I couldn't believe that there, there was actually one in existence. And it's, uh, of course, I think you mentioned it's at Crutchfield, uh, where they have all kinds of wonderful things there. Uh, lots of great information as well. So uh, I'm very excited to get this thing. I've had the radio installed. Didn't look too great in the cut-up bezel that I uh, bought separately and uh, tried cutting and fitting in there. I'm really looking forward to this custom uh, really factory looking install. Now, Tony, have you test fit this at all? Can you speak about the fitment at all? Um, I, uh, I put the, the cover on this afternoon and, uh, I can see that, um, it, it, the, the radio doesn't quite want to, or the Android head unit, I should say, doesn't quite want to fit the, the opening from the standpoint of the radio isn't down low enough. So oh. I went, Oh, I'm about to do some more cutting. And, uh, I, I went, Oh, wait a minute instructions i wonder if they have some instructions in the bag so i reached in there and sure enough they show you exactly where you need to cut wait uh, a minute did you say a, a guy reading instructions i know did, tammy tammy <laughs> did you get that holy cow i didn't do it at first Mark this day <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words i will never exactly. do it to start with <laughs> like, what okay go ahead sorry Continue oh no the story. no it's that's 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 fine but uh yeah i agree with you but uh, so I got to do a little cutting, uh, a little Dremel tool, and uh, it, it may it may take five minutes to, to do this. Now keep in mind, I've already done a lot of cutting, so a lot of the stuff's out of the way. So this isn't a lot more I have to cut, and also too, yeah, yeah. Well, it'll allow that the head unit to sit down low enough to fit properly inside that hole, and it looks like it's going to be a perfect fit. But of course, I'll have some pictures uh, up on the website once I get oh, this good. thing done. Uh, and uh, the, the thing I will say is. I've already done this on my wife's TJ and uh, did all the cutting and the fitting and stuff. It is absolutely gorgeous, and I expect this one to be exactly the same. If you're an XJ owner, and uh, like Josh said, 97 to 2001, and you've always thought about, man, I'd really like to put a double DIN, an Android head unit or something in there, I think you can without really much uh, uh, modifications. You will need some, uh, some tape, like that aluminum duct tape, to close off the uh, the air uh, channel because you do have to cut into it. But anyway, get this, the, uh, uh, the ducting material, and uh, you just need to uh, spend a little time, and you can have your own double-din unit in, the, uh, in your Cherokee. People go, what the hell? You put that $500 head unit in a $200 vehicle. And now that you must have one of these double-din dash kits for your very own Jeep, we're going to make it easy for you. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com and look in the link for the show notes for episode 426. Well, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm out on a big wheeling trip, there's always a big decision that has to be made. Do you camp on site or do you stay in a hotel nearby? Now, Tony, I know that you haven't been any, uh, done too many uh, uh, you know, weekend-long or, or multi-day wheeling trips where you're, you're sort of out, in the, uh, uh, you know, out doing it for, for multiple days at a time. Uh, Wendy, I, I'm pretty sure you haven't. I know Tammy has actually done this here recently. Um, and so I don't know where you guys stand as far as if you're going to be doing this trip, you know, a wheeling trip and you're, you're going to be in, you know, this one area for multiple days, you know, wheeling on, on these trails and stuff. Do you just camp on site or do you come back into town, maybe a, a half hour, hour, you know, 45 minute drive or whatever, and stay in a hotel nearby and then get up and make the drive into, you know, the uh, staging area each morning or whatever. 
Wendy, which wh- where do you fall on this? Definitely camping uh, on the site. Definitely. Why, why is that? What's your what's your? Uh, I mean, I know it's I know some for you know, a lot of people it might be easier or cheaper or whatever. Where what's your prior? What are your reasons for for you know camping versus staying in a hotel nearby? You know, part of it is the experience. So you want to be outside. It is camping. You might have a trailer. You might be camping out of your Jeep, depending on which way you're going. But the bottom line is you're just, you wake up, you're outside already. You're not running back and forth and doing it. I I do that every day with my job. I don't want to have to drive. I want to be where I'm at. So for us, it's camping and then going from there and staging and enjoying the scenery. Tammy, what about you? I, I know that you've uh, you've done the primitive camping and you've done multi-day wheeling trips where it's, you know, you wheel and you camp and you wheel and you camp and then, you know, mm-hmm. more of that. And then you're on the, on the road and, and heading home. Uh, where, you know, would you prefer to stay in a hotel or, or do you like the camping on site for, for these uh, big wheeling trips? Oh, definitely the camping. And um, I would agree with everything Wendy said. Plus, I would add you, after you're done wheeling, obviously you, you're wheeling with a bunch of people. And hopefully they're all camping with you and you can sit around the fire and you can reminisce about the day's events. Yeah. Yes, and absolutely. That, yeah, that is, to me, the best part. And you form these bonds with a lot of times people you you know are meeting for the first time and mm-hmm. you create these friendships. And that's what Neil and I did. There were a few times we got a hotel room with that was because it was raining and we were too lazy and it was 10 o'clock at night and we didn't want to set up the tent. But on... Anytime we can, I would pick camping 100%. I've got two words for you all. Hot shower. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I've been on the trail for two days and it's just dusty and, and like I can feel the grit between my teeth almost. And, you know, it's just one of those things where like I, I would give one of my, you know, what's to have a hot shower for just like 15 minutes, you know. Uh, it's just you're 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 camping. You're you're miserable. You're dirty. You know, maybe you had to do a trail repair, or you're you're repairing back at the at the campsite or something like that. And it's all you want is 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 a hot shower and something soft to lay down on, and maybe even you know, you know a nice hot meal or something like that. Look, I'm all about camping myself. That's how I do it personally. Uh, but there's been a couple of times where where I've been out on these trips and um, and, and you stay at a hotel because well uh, that's where the guys want to uh, park the, uh, the the trucks and the trailers. Um, you know, we, somebody else pitched in on a hotel room and uh, well hey I'm just gonna you know pitch out on the floor here than than pitching a tent. It's gonna be a lot more comfortable. There's more creature comforts and and hey you were with some people too. Um, but I'm with you, Tammy, on the on the whole experience. And, mm-hmm. and, and afterwards, sitting around the campfire, having adult beverage and talking about, you know, the, 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 the woes of the day or, you know, how that one guy got over that one obstacle. And, and remember that time a few years ago when we did this and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And there's just nothing that can really replace that experience. Now, I'm all about the creature comforts. Believe me, I like a soft place to, to, to lay my head. And I've gone on many wheeling trips where I've got to be camping and I've forgotten my pillow. And let Hello. me tell you, oh, I know. God, it, just, it sucks more than anything else in the world. Yeah. I mean, trying to trying to wheel and camp for three or four days without a pillow, I mean, it sucks. You're, you're, by day two, you're almost just ready to go home. So yeah, yeah I, I've I've been on both sides of the fence on this, you know. And and sometimes it's like, yeah, you know, I don't really want to do this trail repair in a in a muddy field or you know on all this gravel or whatnot. It would be so nice if I had a nice parking lot to do this in or even a garage or something. And obviously hotels don't have garages, but 
And most of them are going to be a little bit uh, weary about you doing massive repairs in their parking lot on your Jeep. But, but nonetheless, I mean, there's a lot of people that go both ways on this, uh, whether they stay in a hotel for big trips. I know a lot of people, you know, for the Easter Jeep Safari, the hotels fill up very fast. A lot of people are doing the hotel uh, the hotel, you know, uh, part of this for, for, you know, big trips like that. Um, but, uh, but camping is where it's at. You really get down to the grassroots. You're, you're, you're in the mix of it all. And there's just really nothing that beats that level of experience. I hate to bring it back to food, but, uh, camping is just so much uh, fun. Uh, but the, uh, the thing that I like the best about it, campfire breakfast. Oh, it's oh, the best. Yeah. Yes. Nothing better what than bacon on a that? skillet. It's I think it's the the aroma and uh, it, it it's it, cooking over an open flame. Yeah, I, I don't know yeah. what it is. Yes. But food food cooked over an open flame always tastes better. It's the I, best. regardless of what it is. You don't yeah. have to be barbecuing over coals to have a a a, a you know a a flame fired meal. You know as, as it were. Um, so there's something about cooking over an open flame that just makes it so much better. I, I might actually eat tofu if it was cooked over over open flame. <laughs> you, you know, actually, just just actually, try, you know, just maybe. I hate fish, oh, but no, I can eat fish, fish when we're camping. Yeah, fried fried catfish. Huh. Oh my god, yes. Uh, not it. Good good times, good times. I'm just not a good. I'm just not a good multi day camper. I'm kind of like you, Josh. I want to shower. I just I don't feel yeah, like but, myself. But guys, there are portable showers. You can do stuff where you can you can have your hot shower. I mean, oh yeah, it's always possible. Now, one of the uh, one of the big trips I take every every year, um, and it's usually a three or four day trip, and uh, and I usually go with the same guys uh, every year. I didn't get a chance to go this last year, and it's going to be two years now that I've seen these guys because I only get to wheel with them and hang out with them once a year during this trip. Uh, and there was one year where it was extremely dry. They almost had to cancel the whole event because of the uh, the fire protection level that the forestry service was uh, was initiating. Uh, they decided to let us go. They shut everything else down. Uh, let us have pretty much free range of the forest, uh, and then shut everything else down after that weekend uh, for for multiple weeks just because of the fire level. Things were so dry. The dust was so bad that uh, visibility was next to no. Um, wow. yeah, everybody gets back to camp. Every Jeep is brown. Um, <laughs> you, you know, everybody is just, they look like that raccoon eyes, you know, because everybody's, you know, wiping their face and, and mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff. And it's sweaty, it's hot and everybody's covered in dirt and, and dust and mud and, and grit and everything like that. And there was a couple of guys that had campers. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and how many and, and people does it take to roll a camper over? Yeah, right. Best friends. <laughs> So one of the guys in my group, he had uh, he had a truck with one of the one of the campers that goes in the bed, you know, uh, one one of those styles. And um, so you know the pickup truck with the camper bed in the back, and then he had a trailer that that he towed the jeep with. Well, he had just enough hot water on hand to to where we could all get like about a two or three minute shower just oh, to wow. kind of rinse the bad. dust off. Yeah. Just enough to rinse the dust off, and it was one of those external showers. So you you know you you've got a flexible hose and this little tiny mm-hmm. nozzle you're holding in your hand over your head with one hand, and then trying to very quickly you know rub off all the dust, and and, <laughs> and you're basically just turning yourself into a big mud ball. But uh, but no, it was it was hot water. It was uh, it was a bit of a rinse off, and I can't tell you how much better that made the trip. Just being able to clean up to that level uh, yeah. made everything so much better. Uh, so yeah, there's there's something to be said about hot water on a wheeling trip. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's really cool. Ah, 
what you just look at this weather. I think this is the perfect day to take the top off. Oh, what the heck is this? Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Maybe you should have checked the Jeep weather with Mitch. Hey, Jeeper. Mitch here. Today is the 28th of February, 2020, and it's time for your weekend going topless Jeep weather report. In a quest to find places to get those doors off and go topless, I found Picayune, Mississippi. Sunny all weekend with 65 on Friday, 67 on Saturday, and 68 on Sunday. Luckily, with the humidity being around 70%, it could feel much nicer to drive topless. Next, we go to a place where you can probably get a tan and still be warm. San Antonio, Texas is partly cloudy all weekend, 72 on Friday, 73 Saturday, and 79 on Sunday. Maybe running off to the beach will help you get brave enough to go topless this weekend. Let's check out San Diego, California. Yep, there will be partly cloudy again, but Friday is 76, Saturday is 69, and Sunday should be 61, but also may rain. Rain will be your clue that Monday is coming and you need to go home. Alright, let's go to Yuma, Arizona. Plenty of off-road trails in the area, warmer weather, and some cloud cover for good topless pictures. Friday, 83, Saturday, 85, and Sunday, 79 degrees. That's Doors Off, topless weather for you. Don't forget to use the hashtag Jeep Talk Show on social media for us to see those pictures. If you have any suggestions or want to know your local weather in an upcoming episode, go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact in order to find all the ways to get a message to me. I'm Mitch. It's always a great weekend to go topless if you're brave enough. Just go topless responsibly. So you're looking for wheeling wear? Well, we still have it, but we've moved it to our website. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com and look at all the events coming up, maybe around your area. That's it for the show for this week, my fellow Jeeper. Until next week, be sure to ask a random person this week why, why, where they listen to the Jeep Talk Show. <laughs> oh, why, oh, why. Yes, why do you listen to the Jeep Talk Show? Why? And as always, thank you for listening to the world's most downloaded Jeep podcast. Great galloping gobs of Goku, son. I didn't know they made lifts that high. Podcasting since 2010. Did you know there's more Jeep Talk Show that you're missing? To get it, just load the Jeep Talk Show app on your smartphone or tablet.